Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Oh, good morning, good morning. What a cozy morning, huh? One day it's snowing, the next day it's pouring rain. One day it's 20 degrees, next day it's, what, 60 degrees or something like that, right? And we love it, but uh, this is a, you guys kind of feel that, there's this feeling of uh, warmth today, like, what do they say, hearth and heart, and something like that, right? God is good, God is indeed good. We're going to be uh, continuing our study in Romans this morning, so if you want to take a minute and get ahead of the game, pull out your phone app or your Bible, we're going to predominantly stay, we'll jump around a little bit, but not too much, so if you're in Romans 8, you're going to be in good shape, Okay. Uh, Before I jump into the message, though, I do want to mention something and uh, bring something to the attention of the the church body that I think is important. Uh, The Supreme Court is currently hearing uh, a case that's of, I mean, it's hard to over-exaggerate the significance of this ruling regarding vaccine mandates. Are Are you familiar with this? Have you been paying attention? I bring it up because if you're not paying attention, if you didn't know that, if that's news to you, I encourage you to uh, look it up, look into it, be aware of it. It's something that we need to be praying for in this nation, uh, predominantly because, well, we know that Jesus is going to come for his bride, right? Amen. Amen? Amen? We believe in the rapture of the church, but we don't exactly know when, per se, or what year. It sure looks to be soon, however... There's no promise in the Word of God that specifically things in the United States of America won't get a lot worse before that happens. So that is, therefore, to us Christians uh, who stand for liberty and freedom to be engaged and aware and, most importantly, be praying for our nation and that the ruling of this court will come down on the side of individual liberty. What's at stake here is if they don't come down on that side, they're going to come down on the side of saying employers can tell you uh, whether what you put in your body, whether it's an experimental drug or not. They can tell you to put something in your personal body, which flies in the face of the Constitution and personal liberties itself. So we can't exaggerate how important this is. So as the church, we need to be praying for our Supreme Court justices especially those that claim to revere God and what he stands for. Amen? Amen. Amen. So to Romans then, the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible, the gospel according to Paul, the theme being the grace of God revealed God's righteousness, our iniquity, and God's remedy through grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So today we're going to continue uh, our study of one of the best loved chapters in all of the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is easily, if you ask people what's your favorite chapter in the Bible, I know it's so hard to pick. Romans 8 is one that often comes up. We are therefore now under no condemnation. Amen? Paul's theology here is very clear and very, very direct, making this one of the best-loved chapters in all the Bible. And we're going to continue to study that chapter by studying one of the most significant passages 
in all of the Bible, which would be chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, 31 through 39. Magnificent. So you're in for it. This study today is important. I'm not building it up too much, am I? You see, when you're studying the Word of God, especially Romans, you can't build it up too much because there's no way... You know, in the world, you, you don't want to build it up too much, right? Or everybody will be let down, right? It's impossible with the Word of God. It's impossible. I could build this up even more. You're, I'm still not doing it justice. This is important. Today's study, we need to let this message sink deep into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is at work here today. Have you noticed that yet? Whew, he's working here today in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits this morning. And it's perfect. I feel, I feel that he has, it's like a meat tenderizer, right? I think he's, he uses worship as kind of this meat tenderizer to soften up our hearts for the word of God sometimes. I feel like he has done that this morning, and it's a good thing because we need to let this message seek, sink deep, deep into our hearts today. The sermon subtitle, main title of this series, obviously, Romans, uh, The Grace of God Revealed. Today's subtitle is God's Everlasting Love. His Everlasting Love. So with that, let's go to the scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Right out of the gates, at the sounding of the bell, Paul starts uh, with a doozy. <laughs> What shall we say then? You know he's, no, he's setting you up when he says that. What shall we say then? As if he doesn't know, right? What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, say it with me. I think we, you know, it's a little too sleepy here. We're going to have to, I'm going to need some help. You're going to have to talk with me today, all right? You ready for that? Let's say it out loud. If God is for us, now say the whole thing together and, and mean it. If God is for us, who can be against us? Could there be a greater encouragement than this? The, con the uh, contemplation of God's saving purpose for his people moving forward to its predestined consummation is what we're seeing here. If God is your strong salvation, then what force could possibly prevail against you? Here it is. God himself for you. No demon or devil destined for hell. No spell. No curse. No man or woman, no matter how wicked they may be, can stop or thwart what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you believe that? Those are kicking stuff. Come on. They're slapping stuff around. This is who you are now. That's you, and nobody can take your identity from you. No one can rob you of your kingdom birthright. It's your birthright. Mm. You are an heir to the kingdom of God, church. You're an heir to the kingdom of God, and he is for you. 
even the most mature believer at times questions that. In the valley or a time of silence, it feels like God is silenced, perhaps. You're not getting the answer as quickly as you'd like. Things are difficult. You feel, you wonder, does he even see me? Well, he sees you. Do you take your eyes off of your child ever really, parents? I've often said that the victories that Satan gets in our lives, the only victories that Satan gets in our lives are the ones that we give him. Said that many times to you, haven't I? But he doesn't get your identity, church, no matter what you do or don't do. You've got to understand. If you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind, and he'll laugh as he watches the spectacle. But there is nothing that he can do, nothing that he can do to take your identity as a child of God from you. You hear me? No enemy, no enemy can take that from you today. No enemy. Let that sink into your heart today. Too many believers, they live their lives uh, with the unhealthy expectation that God isn't for them. Truly, truly. Uh, or that he won't be for them if they fail to live up to, uh, to expectations or if they have messed up too many times, right? It wasn't too long ago that I gave you guys a challenge, but six months ago, who knows? Maybe it wasn't that long, but the way time goes. It wasn't too long ago I gave you guys a challenge, right? I said, go talk to 10 people. Ask them just if they're going to heaven, right? Because so many people just think that they're going to heaven, not truly understanding the gospel. I assumed that a lot of people would come back and say, yeah, no, a lot of people told me they thought they were going to heaven because they're just a good person, right? Well, the opposite didn't happen, didn't it, Chris? The opposite happened. People would say, Chris in particular was one who, who called me with the results and said, everybody's saying... They're not going to heaven because they know they've messed up too much. They know the truth and they don't live by it. They've messed up too much. (laughs) Church, as Jesus made clear in the sharing of the prodigal son parable, birthright and favor isn't earned. Let it sink in. We all know the story of the prodigal son today, right? I could spend an hour teaching it, so I'm not going to because we're teaching something else today. But you know the story of the prodigal son in general, right? When the prodigal son came home after finding himself bankrupt and in the pig pen, somebody else's servant, he decided to humble himself and go back to his father's house. How did his father greet him? With joy, with favor, with additional blessing, right? Was it because of anything he had done? No. Was it because he had gotten himself cleaned up before he came into church? No. No, no, no. He made it clear. Birthright and favor is given unconditionally by birth. By birth. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again, right? Ye must be, so why all this, you think about all of this, 
talk about born again, all of these different things in the Bible that you read. And if you read them just alone, they might not make a ton of sense. Maybe you just think it's allegory or a metaphor, so we'll understand something better. But really, though, there's a specific purpose. Truly, you have been reborn when you believe in Jesus Christ. You have been truly born again, born of the Spirit. That means you have a new birthright, and Paul has gone to great lengths in the first few chapters of Romans to explain that to us, hasn't he? The difference between the spirit man and the flesh man and everything else, right? You, you are born again by your faith. You have a new birthright. He is for you because he is your father. You need to feel that, church. He's not some distant God who now he's made a deal to take you in. He had Jesus come do this to just strike up some contract void of emotion and now he begrudgingly takes you. Adam and Eve, they messed things up so he had to make it right and he did what he had to do to fix. Now he loves you, you see. What he does, he does out of love for you. He is your father. You are his heir. And nothing can change that for those who believe. Not for those who perform, but it is by faith, lest no man can boast. He is for you, church. Do you believe that? If we being wicked love our own children... Paul says elsewhere, right? Want to give them all good things. How much more is God who is holy and perfect? How much more does he want to do for you? It's his desire. It's the inclination of his heart. Grace itself, the Hebrew interpretation of that word, implies that he is reaching down to us. The only, the, of, of all, the, all of the, the deities in the world, the the false deities. You say all of the religions in the world, there is one religion where God doesn't just sit back and desire his people to come kiss his feet, wash his feet, make themselves good enough for him, do for him. This is the only one where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. The pattern for leadership in the Christian church right there. He is for you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God's love for you, church, it was supremely, supremely manifested in the sacrifice of his son on your behalf. That happened. That happened. If he is willing to do that for you, Paul makes the point here, if he's willing, I should say it like this, if he's willing to do that for you, my goodness, what good thing will he withhold from you? Think about it. All things, all things, he says. It's reminiscent to me of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, 
what Jesus uh, uh, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added unto you, right? In the context of that chapter, uh, which I'm not putting up because we're not going to study it, but in the context of that uh, uh, passage, he, he's talking about how we shouldn't worry, you know? It's easy to worry nowadays, right? With all the fear propaganda everywhere, everywhere. You got, it's no secret that uh, I'm a, a sports fan, right? Football fan. It's on this stinking football shows. It is. The fear, fear propagating, and then they, they bring it, and they give you the, the, the unexpe- you're unexpecting, and here comes the lecture about getting the jab and everything else, and how bad the athletes are if they don't get it, and it's totally one-sided, right? It's everywhere. They say that, uh, um, I watched a podcast with uh, Joe Rogan and Dr. McCullough. I highly recommend it to you guys. If you haven't seen it, I think I'll share it in the family page. But they say that part of, the, uh, part of the heart conditions that are coming along with vaccination or just even COVID occurring naturally, part, part of the heart conditions, they say, is due to the anxiety and stress. And did you know that the number one, you guys know, right, what the number one killer in the USA is, right? Is it cancer? Probably, right? Stress. Stress. Stress that leads to all kinds of different physical ailments. Stress that leads to heart attacks, in this case, in the context with which we're speaking, but, I mean, hypertension, all kinds of other problems, right? The context that Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Don't worry about it. I got it covered, right? I will give you all these things, he said, if you what? Seek first the kingdom of God. And what you eat, drink, wear, that will you'll have, Jesus says. Don't get it twisted now, though, okay? Uh, prosperity doctrine loves to run with this one. It really does. Uh, well, we always have to consider the full context of the counsel of God in James chapter 4, verse 3. Um, James writes, you ask, but you do not receive. We're familiar with this verse, right? But you ask and miss. You're asking and you're not receiving. Why is it? Because you ask and miss. You ask that you may spend it on your pleasures. So intent matters to God. Not that all pleasures are bad, but in James chapter 4, the context he's speaking is bad pleasures, right? And he won't give you anything bad for you or that he knows will lead you away from him. Remember, I said, what good thing will be withheld from you? What good thing will he hold back from you? Let's keep reading, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who? It is God who justifies. Paul now, for a moment, envisions the situation here in terms of a court of justice where the believer stands to be judged. I want you to imagine your mind's eye. All right, are you there? You're in the courtroom. Are you imagining it? You're in the courtroom. Uh, You are standing to be judged 
but who will dare come forward as a prosecutor? This is the context with which Paul speaks here. God himself, the judge of all, has pronounced an acquittal over you. And justification, who therefore can call his sentence decreed on you into question? The prosecution may as well not even show up, is what Paul says. Who? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Do we have any of God's elect in this room? Yeah? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's reminiscent of John chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus says, woman, where is your accusers, right? Where are your accusers? Where is your accuser, elect? You know, as, as bad as we are sometimes at listening to the Holy Spirit, and can we, can we admit that we're bad at listening to the Holy Spirit sometimes? Huh? It's, and you know, when, you've, when you realize that he was speaking to you, telling you something, and you didn't listen, and you realize it's like, oh, isn't that the worst? As bad as we are, <laughs> sometimes at listening to the Holy Spirit, we sure are good at listening to the accuser of our souls, aren't we? We sure have a penchant for doing that, don't we? I mean, seriously. You know, Satan is identified as the accuser of God's people in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He is the accuser. His accusations that get, you know, your flesh man knows that his accusations, they are valid because they're based on the believer's sinfulness and defilement. But guess what? Satan's accusations will be thrown out of court. If the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to you, if it's the Holy Spirit, if he's bringing conviction to your spirit with the express purpose of correction and sanctification, you listen up and you listen good. All right? But if it's the accuser, I don't know who I'm talking to here this morning. I'm talking to somebody. If it's the accuser reminding you of your failure and how far you fall from meeting the standard, and he has many mouthpieces to be that accuser, by the way, doesn't he? It's not always just an invisible demon whispering in your ear. He loves to use... Family, friends. <laughs> if it's the accuser telling you that God isn't for you, how could that be? How could he be for you? You know who you are. If it's the accuser telling you that you aren't worthy, you should know you're not worthy, I want you to tell him to shove off. Amen? Tell him to shove off. Tell him... Who are you who accuse me? God is my judge. Amen? Tell him it's God that justifies me. Who is he who condemns? Verse 34. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns, Paul says? 
who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It's reminiscent of Isaiah chapter 58 through 9. I want to take a moment and read through that. Who is he who condemns? Isaiah 50 verse 8 through 9 reads, he is near me who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let my adversary come near me. Hey, man, I got chills when I said that. Oh, you want a piece of this? Hmm? Verse 9, surely the Lord God will help me. Verse 9, surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Verse 34, let's go back to verse 34. Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? You know, there is therefore now no condemnation, by the way, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might have heard that earlier in this study. It is Christ. Interesting thing here. Jesus is also God's appointed judge. So in this setup, Paul just gave you the visual of God. God is my justifier. God is my judge. Painting a picture of of a prosecutor who can't even bring charge against you. Jesus, well, we'll get to that. Jesus says, well, as your lawyer, essentially. But Jesus is also God's appointed judge in uh, John chapter 5 and in Acts chapter 17. So he's many things to us. We're going to pick up on this theme here shortly. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Can't remember the cross without the empty tomb. The empty tomb is everything. Who is even at the right hand of God. And this is significant here because Psalm chapter uh, 110, uh, chapter 1, Psalm 110, verse 1 says, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Right? That's encouraging. But where did he... Where does he tell his servant to sit? At his right hand. According to Jewish scribes, uh, Psalm 110 was a messianic reference. Sit at my right hand. Right hand, significance, footstool of enemies, right? Who is at the right, so he is at the right hand. Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, he makes intercessions for us. We can't just blow past this, all right? Though the prosecutor may not show his face, the counsel for the defense is present. The counsel for the defense is present and active. Jesus, who is enthroned at God's right hand of authority, is making intercessions for his people, for you. Jesus himself, when speaking with the Father, intercedes for you. Do you feel special? That's pretty cool. It's more than cool. It's amazing. So what we see here is that believers have an intercessor. They have an advocate here in this world, on this earth, in this plane, in the 
person of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8, verse 27 told us that. The Holy Spirit is here. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor, right? But now we see here that we also have an intercessor, an advocate in the person of Jesus Christ in heaven, in the very throne room, sitting at the right hand of the Father. As a result of all of this, can I see this graphic on the screen? Jesus, to a believer, is many things. Jesus is a believer's sacrifice for sin. Jesus is a believer's new life. A believer shares in Christ's resurrection of life. Jesus is a believer's intercessor, and Jesus is the defense. Jesus is a believer's defense. When God enters, when God enters into judgment and takes the side of the defendant, you, the defendant, God enters into judgment and he takes the side, the side of the defendant. No amount of evidence that the, that the prosecution can bring. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it good. Don't let yourself off the hook here. Think about all the evidence that there is against you. That Satan wants to remind you of. He wants to accuse you of. He wants to, in, exhibit A, introduce before the court. In the case of fill in your name. I want you to think about it. What, no amount of evidence for the prosecution can procure, can procure a guilty verdict. No amount of evidence can procure a guilty verdict. The gavel has struck. Justification means justice has been served. The gavel has been struck. The proclamation of not guilty is read for all to hear. All of heaven and hell has read the proclamation of the verdict in the case of Chuck Bird. Not guilty. Amen? And you and you and you and you. And you and you, all of you. Mm. God, having justified the ungodly, will not and cannot contradict himself. Do you understand that? He can no longer charge any of you with evil. He can't. It would be a contradiction. Who is he that condemneth, Paul said. Paul gives four answers, each of which are taught elsewhere in the scripture, but they're gathered here to underscore the unconditional security of the believer. I'll say that again. It underscores the unconditional security of the believer. Can we see that next graphic? What Jesus did and does for you. Jesus died, he is risen, he advocates and he intercedes. Speak Jesus, amen? Over every enemy, right? To speak Jesus. Over the accuser, Jesus. Mm. Nothing can come between believers. I want you to take this to heart this morning. I want you to take it home with you, and I want you to never forget it. Nothing can come between believers and Jesus' love for them. Nothing. No trial or affliction can separate us from his love. Verse 35. Paul says it plainly. Verse 35. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Nobody has that power. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword even, death itself cannot separate you from the love of God. Through chapter 8, Paul has answered seven questions that are of the utmost importance to the mortal man. Let me see those seven questions. Can opposition defeat the Christian? Why don't you answer for me? Have we learned anything in this study yet? Can opposition defeat the Christian? Say it out loud. Let them hear you on, online. They want to know that all these people are here, all right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Will we have the resources that we need? Will our failures reverse our justification? Somebody needs to say that again. Will our failures reverse our justification? Can't do it. It can't happen. Can't happen. Can anyone condemn us for any reason at all? What kind of assurance can we have of victory? Every assurance. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep before the slaughter. That verse always confused me. It seemed a little bit out of place until you understand where it comes from. Paul's quoting Psalm 44, verse, 42, verse 22 here. It's simply a plea to God in time of distress for Israel, and culturally they would have known that. In our time of distress, we call to God, and all of the above belongs to us, all things. Verse 37 Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than what? Conquerors. Can I see that uh, next graphic? In the Greek, conquerors is this word here. It's a fun little word to say. Hypernikomen. Hypernikomen. Probably pronouncing that horribly. It means super conquerors. Literally. In Christ Jesus, in all these things, we are super conquerors. You feel that way about yourself? How about that little thing you're struggling with? You think you can, you think you can come out victorious? You're a super conqueror. Of course you can. In the Greek, it's in the present tense, so that a, a way of saying it, if you wanted to be super, um, you know, nerdy about it, right? It should say, keep on being conquerors. Keep on being conquerors to a greater degree, or keep on winning a glorious victory. Yeah. Yes, I think I will. How about you then, right? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? How so? Through him who loved us. 
I mean, this is all great news, isn't it? We're getting great doctrine. But you know what the most powerful piece of all of this doctrine is? His love. It's all predicated on his love for you. So good. Verse 38, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. In other words, the prince of angels, principalities, or powers here is his way of wrapping it all up and saying the forces of evil in the universe. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor all the forces of evil in the universe, nor things, nor, nor things present, nor things to come. He's possibly referring to two separate ages here, but... There's not enough to dig into that. And it could suggest future difficulties, right? In any case, whatever your present difficulties are in this age or the next, whatever they are, not life nor death, not all the forces of evil in the universe, verse 39, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Interestingly here, height and depth were technical terms at the time in astrology and also in Gnosticism. So Paul may have had their technical significance in mind lingually, but uh, if he had and this is conjecture, but if he had, they would be closely associated to the principalities and powers that at the time were believed to control the movements of the heavenly bodies, especially the planets, and thus to control the destinies of mortals. So that was a deeper picture, right? But here he plainly says, fate, fate has no power over those whose life is hid with Christ and God, is how he puts it in Colossians 3.3. 3. And there we have it. The chapter, chapter 8, it opens with a guarantee of no condemnation for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it closes with a guarantee of no separation. And Jesus went to the Father and he said, I've not lost one that you gave me. I've not lost one from my hand that you gave me. This chapter should really reprioritize our entire outlook on everything in our lives. It really should. First John chapter 3, one more verse for you today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God. That means you're an heir to the kingdom. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What an encouragement. F.F. Bruce, a uh, scholar of the early 1900s, did a commentary on uh, chapter 8, verse 9, and he said this. Can we see this last quote? 
take this home with you today. He said, nothing in the course of time nor the expanse of space, nothing in the whole universe can sever the children of God from their Father's love that is secured to them in Christ. Amen? Amen. We'll invite Leith forward, and we'll close here. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how much more do we understand, church? Why, why love, joy, and peace mark the lives of those who have been justified by faith? Love, joy, and peace, the guilty past canceled, the glory of the future assured will not be lost from his hand. Eternity secured. And here in this present, we have the power of the Spirit to secure the believer and the grace that we need to endure all trials, to resist evil, and to live as benefactors of those whom God has made righteous. Amen? God declares men righteous not by faith as the procuring cause, For the blood of Christ was that, not by faith as the putting forth of a work, much less by the keeping of divine commands, however holy and just, but out of reliance upon his own word as true, and that alone. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, guiding you, revealing things to you, reminding you of your identity in Christ, who it is that he says you are, reminding you of your true family name. You are an heir to his household. Almighty God, the Father, Jesus at his right hand advocating for you. You belong to him. You're of that lineage. You were born again, your birthright. It's your birthright. And as such, there's no condemnation. No accuser can bring any charge against you. God has justified you. The gavel is struck. He's declared you his own. And nothing can separate you from his love. Every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're needing to lay anything down at his feet this morning, just raise your hand and lay it down. Speak it before his throne. Own it. Know it. Know this truth. With all your heart, if the accuser has been whispering into your ear or if he's been using mouthpieces among your friends and family to make you doubt that you are who it is that God says you are by faith through Jesus Christ alone, I want you to tell him to shove off. Push it out of your mind. 
Say, who is my accuser? It is God that justifies me. Say it, who is my accuser? It is God who has justified me. And the verdict is not guilty. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work and the way that you love us beyond our limited understandings. We thank you for your word. It so beautifully explains and teaches us that. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, do your work. You see the hearts of your children, your people, God, that you love, God. Let them feel your love and reassurance this morning, God. Give them strength, God, and understanding and knowledge to stand on the identity that you have given them through rebirth, God, into your family. Let them walk as heirs of the kingdom of God with the blessed assurance, the blessed hope, and the authority of the right hand of God as Christ is at the right hand. So Christ is in you, and you are in him. Let us walk with the authority of knowing who we are in you, who it is you say we are. And let us say with all our hearts, where is my accuser? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. My God will make my enemies a footstool. In the name of Jesus, let it be said. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's say our closing prayers we always do for someone who may be putting their trust in Jesus for the first time, possibly never having understood the true gospel, the simplicity and the beauty. Let's say it out loud. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me, and I love you. I believe that nothing can separate me from your love. No failure, no mistake, past, present, or future, can separate me from the love of God. I believe it, Lord. Spirit, seal my heart. Come into my heart. Sanctify me. Grow me. Lead me. Walk with me as I walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, go before you, follow after you, walk alongside of you. May you prosper. May you abound in grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys.